All right. Uh, Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to be at this morning. Acts chapter 16. Hope you have your, brought with you a copy of God's Word. We're going to look into the Scriptures this morning. And we're going to hear from what God has to say. Well, we're on the other side of the apocalypse, right? The snowpocalypse. And the experts are calling this past week a one in a century uh, winter storm. And we hope it's just one in a century. I talk, was speaking with my dad the other night, and he goes, Well, what you guys had for seven days, we have for seven months. Well, okay, dad, thanks, but <laughs> we're glad we live in Texas. <laughs> um, but, anyways. One of the painful consequences that we experienced this week as a result of this storm was the failure of our power supply, and we found ourselves living without power. The result is that we had no electricity, no heat, no light. Without electricity, our food, our water, and our fuel supply was interrupted, and we were reminded in a very painful way again this week of how fragile our lives are. How dependent we are really upon the Lord and that he is the one who is sovereign over all. He is the one who rules over all. And this morning we're going to be reassured of God's sovereign rule over the universe, including this storm and his ability to bring good out of bad. And so this morning I want to speak about a power supply that will never collapse under a winter storm. A power supply that will never experience a rolling blackout. A power supply that will never uh, be cut off and leave people out in the cold. You say, what is the power supply that I'm talking about? The power supply is the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul wrote, and he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God uh, uh, that brings salvation to the Jew first, to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And so, as we look this morning into our text, Acts chapter 16, we're going to see the sufficiency of God's power as it is demonstrated in the gospel. In where we find ourselves in the book of Acts this morning as we are on what the Bible, what is called by Bible scholars, Paul's second missionary journey. Paul's second missionary journey. And, and they've gone uh, through Galatia, They've come up to this Aegean Sea. They've crossed over that. And this morning, we're going to find Paul, Silas, Timothy, and now Dr. Luke making preparations. And they're going to cross over from Galatia into Macedonia, which is also Greece or better known as Europe. And so today, we're going to find the gospel reaching Europe. A church we planted in the city of Philippi. And this chapter, we're going to be reassured of God's, uh, uh, of the gospel's power. And we're going to see two demonstrations of the gospel power. Imagine with me a two-pronged plug being plugged into a power source. That two-pronged plug is the gospel as it's plugged into God. I know it's a poor analogy, but we're going to consider the two demonstrations of God's power as seen in the gospel. We're primarily going to just look at the first one and... I'll touch on the second one as we go along throughout the service uh, this morning. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, I want to read verses 11 through 40. This is all primarily about what happens when the gospel reached Philippi. I want to read the passage and then we're going to walk our way through it as we uh, study it this morning. So let's read God's Word here today together, beginning with verse 11. From Troas... 
we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day we went on to uh, Neapolis. And from there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city in the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. Verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down there and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. And one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple. She was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message, to respond to the gospel. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer, she said, uh, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. And once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit of divination or who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who, who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. And finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. And when her owners realized that their hope of, money, of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought before them the magistrates. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he had received these orders, he put them into the inner cell of the prison. And he fastened their feet in the stock, their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors were opened. They flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, go to church. No, that's not what your Bible reads. No. Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke to the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. Now look at verse 34. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with, filled with, Okay, starts with a J, ends with a Y, and it's three letters, so you figure out the middle letter. They were filled with? Better, okay, thank you. Because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jail with the orders. 
Release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas are to be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we're Roman citizens, threw us into prison. And now they do not want to get, now they, and now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come and, let let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they had heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escort them from prison, requesting them to leave the city. And after Paul and Silas came out of prison, notice it says, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with their brothers and sisters and encouraged them, and then they left. Let's take a look at what God has to say to us in this passage here this morning. What is the, the demonstration of God's power? Well, verses 11 and 12 give for us the geographical context. They give to us, the, they set the gospel in a place, or they set this story in a place where we can understand what is happening here. If we, don't, if we just skip over these verses here, we're going to miss the significance of what happens later on in the story. Luke tells us in verse 11 that Philippi was the leading city of Macedonia uh, and a, a Roman colony. Uh, Today, Macedonia is considered uh, part of northern Greece, but in biblical times, Greece was divided into two halves, Macedonia in the north, Achaia, Achaia in, the, in the south, uh, Corinth was in Achaia, uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea were in the north, just to kind of put yourself together as we read through the, gospel of, or read through the book of Acts, we understand where we're at. And so as a Roman colony... Philippi was a strategic city. It was, uh, it was viewed as a Roman outpost. The soldiers, Roman soldiers were encouraged to retire in Philippi. Philippi was called Little Rome. If you ever go up to New York City, they have a section, one of the sections in New York City is Little Italy. And it's, it's a representation of, of Italy. It's not necessarily the architecture, but it's the dress, the culture, the language That's what was happening in Philippi. The citizens of Philippi embraced the Roman culture. They practiced and followed the Roman law. They enjoyed Roman freedom. And part of their freedom of living in Philippi was that the citizens of Philippi were exempt from provincial taxes. That would be nice, wouldn't wouldn't it? Uh, Everybody lives in Texas? Exempt from taxes. (laughs) Well, we can only wish. But anyways... um, Verse 11 tells us that this missionary team, Paul, Silas, Timothy, now Dr. Luke has joined the team. They set out and they sailed straight for Samothrace and the next day to Neapolis. Sailed straight is a nautical term that describes having wind at their back. They were sailing with the winds at their backs. The voyage, their journey was favorable. Have you ever sensed the wind of God at your back. Those are good times, are they not? How refreshing and delightful this must have been for Paul and the missionary team. You think about where Paul has already been. What started off as so promising in Acts chapter 15 when he and Barnabas intended to go back and to strengthen the churches ended up in a painful separation. Paul and Barnabas went to Cyprus Paul and Silas, not Barnabas and Mark, rather, went to Cyprus. Paul and Silas went north by foot up through Galatia. And as they strengthened the churches, they, they wanted to go into western Turkey, western Galatia, Asia. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. They went north thinking, well, maybe God wants us to go into Bithynia along the Black Sea 
forbidden by God. But now the winds were at their back. And having arrived at Philippi, the missionary team began with the gospel. And I want you to notice, first of all, that the first demonstration of the gospel's power is that the power of the gospel is for all people. The power of the gospel for all people. Verse 13, we read of the one who had become the first convert, the first Christian in Europe. And her name is Lydia. We read her story in verses 13 through 15. You say, who was Lydia? Lydia was a wealthy merchant, a, 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 a purple dye merchant, a wealthy woman who needed what money could not buy. There, there's a lot of things that money can buy, can it not? And money can buy us happiness, or, or rather, money can buy us a home, but it cannot buy us happiness. Money can buy us uh, medicine, but it can't necessarily buy us health. Money can, we can save our money for retirement, but money doesn't give us the security of peace. A lot of things that money can do, but there's some things that money cannot do. And we see this in the life of Lydia. Lydia understood the emptiness that comes from having money, from having wealth. The Bible tells us that she was a worshiper of God, which means that she came to understand the God of the Old Testament. She had come to believe in that God, but she had not yet converted over to Judaism. And as of yet, she had never heard of Jesus Christ. Luke tells us that she was from the city of Thyatira. Here's something interesting. Thyatira is in that part of Turkey that's called Asia. The part, remember the part that Paul wanted to go to and he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit, not permitted by God to go into Asia? Lydia was from Thyatira. And notice where she's at. She's in Macedonia. God had a woman from Asia in Thyatira, or from Thyatira in Europe ready to hear the gospel. Thyatira was known for, her, for their purple dye and Lydia evidently was in Macedonia uh, selling this fabric, this dyed fabric. It was a symbol of the wealthy. The wealthy would purchase this. And so she was uh, making, uh, she was uh, enjoying success, and yet she was experiencing emptiness on the inside. She was searching and so Paul and the missionary team, they arrive in Philippi, and they do what they normally do. Have you, have you begun to notice it? Where does the Apostle Paul first go when they go into a city? Do you, have you remember? Have you noticed it? The synagogue. Yeah, the synagogue of the Jews. And Philippi, it tells us that there was no synagogue. They, instead of going to the synagogue, they went to the river. Why is that? Jewish tradition said that if there are at least 10 men, there is to be a, Jewish, a, a synagogue established. Evidently, the Jewish community in Philippi was small. And so rather than having a synagogue, the Jewish uh, believers, they would meet at a river for, rit for the ritual of washing and for prayer. And Lydia was there. Verse 14. She listened, and as she listened, the Lord opened her heart. Isn't that how God works? When you and I hear the gospel... God is the one who begins to open our heart and we are able to respond by faith. And she believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I like verse 15. And when she and her household were baptized, the Bible says that she invited Paul and the missionary team to their home, to her home. And you think about that, baptism. 
Baptism always follows salvation. It's a visible picture of what God is doing in our lives. As Christ was, uh, died on the cross and was buried, you and I who have believed on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, when we believe and when we're baptized, are being brought into the water is a picture of us dying with Christ to our sin. And as Christ was raised to new life, you and I, when we're brought up out of the water, having believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that coming up out of the water is a picture of the new life of Christ within. Baptism always follows belief. And verse 15, she says, If you consider me a believer in the Lord, if you judge my faith to be authentic, come to my house. She opened her heart to the Lord and she opened her house to the servants of God. The gospel came into her heart and the home became a place of ministry. I find this so encouraging that, that uh, when you think about hospitality, the ministry of hospitality, one of the qualifications for those who serve as an elder in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is that they be men who are hospitable. And both Michael and Steve are men who, and their families practice hospitality. Their, their homes are continually open to people, even this afternoon. As soon as church is over, the, the student ministry is heading over to the homes, the home of, of Steve and Suzanne Hurst. But I want you to think about what has happening here in Philippi. Wanting to go to Thyatira, forbidden by the Holy Spirit, God led him instead to Macedonia to meet a woman from Thyatira. God crosses our lives. He intersects our lives with the people who need to hear the gospel. God intersects our lives with those who need to hear the gospel. We think of Michael's testimony this morning. Grew up religious, never hearing the gospel, but God crossed his life with Nicolae through which he heard the gospel and was saved. Think of uh, Bob Betts, uh, who's at home with the Lord, but it was just a few weeks ago when we did the uh, his funeral service, uh, the testimony of Bob's life was what? Uh, didn't know anything about the gospel, even though he had grown up in a, in, a, in a Lutheran church in Baltimore, but he came to Texas, he met Pat, and Pat introduced him to the Lord. And so where has God brought you? Think about that. Where has God brought you? What has been your journey? And who has God brought to you? Who has God brought to you? I think of the ministry of Global Gates, a ministry that's committed to reaching the least reached peoples of the world and people who are from closed countries. But they're not going there. They're reaching them here in the cities, Houston, Dallas, are considered Global Gate cities because they're homes of refugees. Think of what the burden that God has placed on the heart of Bichu and Tiki to reach the Hindi-speaking people here in Fort Worth. Where has God brought you from? Who has God brought you to? We need to be reminded that God has saved us to be his missionaries, that God has saved us to be his witnesses. And so we need to ask ourselves, where has God placed us and who has God brought to us? And the gospel reached Europe. Forbidden to go to Thyatira, God brought a Thyatiran woman to the missionary team. Notice the second person who experienced the power of the gospel, and that was a demon-possessed fortune teller, a clairvoyant. 
And we read her story in verses 16 through 18. And here in verses 16 through 18, we read of this slave girl who was possessed by a spirit and who needed to be set free. Who needed to be set free. The Bible tells us here in verse uh, verse 16 that she had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Uh, Literally, she had a python spirit. A python spirit. The reference here is to a the legendary snake that guarded the Delphi Oracle in, the, in, in central Greece. Uh, Apollo, the Greek mythological god, uh, supposedly killed this snake, and the snake's spirit dwelled in the priestess, in the priest, priestess of, of the temple there in Delphi. And so a python spirit, a spirit of divination, someone who could predict the future, is a is a spirit that is supposedly enabled one to, to predict the future. And this slave girl here in Philippi was used by her owners for fortune telling and the fortunes, uh, much to the fortunes of the owners. Now you think about diviners, people who could tell the future. It was believed in that culture that oftentimes that these people were um, out of their mind. And the thought was this, is that the gods had taken their mind from them so they could have the mind of the gods. And so here's this woman who is possessed by this spirit uh, being handled by what one commentator called spiritual pimps for their profit. And she's walking around, the Bible tells us, and she's following Paul and the missionary team saying, these are the servants of the Most High God. They're declaring to you the way of salvation. And at first blush, at first glance, you might think, well, what's the big deal with that? That She's telling the truth. They are servants of the Most High God, and they are declaring the way of salvation. And here we see the strategy of Satan at work. If he can't oppose the work from the inside, he'll try to infiltrate it from the inside. And he was going to try to form this ungodly alliance between this fortune teller and the gospel messengers. And finally, this went on for several days, and and finally Paul had enough. And he tells us in verse 18, the Bible tells us in verse 18, where Paul says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And the Bible says that immediately at that moment, the Spirit left her. And here we see the power and the authority in the name of Jesus Christ. She was in her right mind. And we presume, we're making an assumption, I'm making an assumption here, that she received Jesus Christ. God's power, through the gospel, worked a miracle and set this lady free. The gospel still sets people free today. Here was a lady who was bound by a spirit, who was used by people for ungodly ends, set free, set in the right mind. By the power of the gospel. We, can't, we don't know for certain that she was converted, but let me make this case for you to say that she was. All right? I'm not going to die on this hill, but I want to make the case, try to make the case at least that I believe she was converted. And if you disagree with me, you can take that up with Drew afterwards. Uh, those who have been set free by the Son are set free indeed. Amen? Mary Magdalene, remember her in the Gospels? Possessed by seven spirits, seven demons. And when she was set free, she was set free indeed. 
And she followed Christ, not only to the cross, but she was there on Easter Sunday morning, ready to prepare his body for a proper burial, only to be met by the Lord himself. And supposing he was the gardener, he said, where did you bury my Lord? And remember what he said? Mary. And she knew that it was the Lord. Think of the demon-possessed man from the Gerasenes. Mark chapter 5, Luke chapter 8. He could not be bound by chains. He was out of his mind. But yet, uh, when Jesus set him free, he was in his right mind. He was clothed. And he wanted to follow Christ. And remember what Jesus said? Go. Go back home and tell your family what the Lord has done for you. Oh, we don't know if this lady, for certain if this lady became a follower of Jesus Christ, but I believe she did. And that she was set free not only from the Spirit, but she received the, the salvation that only Jesus Christ can give. Verse 19. Uh, her handlers, the spiritual pimps, they were not happy. Their, their moneymaker had been put out of business. And so, verse 19, they grabbed Paul and Silas and they, they dragged them before the magistrates. And each colony would be ruled by two magistrates. And so, there was these two governing officials there in Philippi. And they were brought to the marketplace. And, and the accusations were, these men are Jews and they're, they're turning our city upside down. They're, they're causing an uproar. And they're teaching us to, to practice laws that are not permitted for us to follow as Romans. Remember, Roman law was the rule of the day. And fearing that they would lose control of the situation, the magistrates, without a trial, which was required by Roman law, without witnesses, which was required by Roman law, ordered the attendants. The, the, in Latin, the word is the lictors. The, from where we get our English word, um, take your licks. And... And, and they ordered them to be beaten with rods, if you can imagine uh, some bamboo shoots being tied together and their backs of Paul and Silas were stripped bare and they were beaten with these rods. And then they were imprisoned. Verse 23, they were, the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Verse 24 they were locked in the inner cell and their feet were put in stocks and here we find the servants of God being illegally beaten and unjustly imprisoned. But here we find the third person who encountered the gospel, the power of the gospel. And who is that? The jailer. You say, who was the jailer? The jailer was a civil servant bounded by Roman law but who needed salvation. Now think about this. He was a civil servant of Rome. He, he was under the authority of the Roman law. He was a hardened man. He, he did his job. He, he was given the orders to, to, to take these prisoners who had been beaten, show no mercy, throw, to guard them carefully. And so he put them in the inner cell. He put their feet in the stocks. He was indifferent to both the gospel and to the messengers of the gospel. He could care less about these prisoners. They were just two other men that were going to be under his charge. It was midnight. Quite possibly it had been half a day, 12 days, since their beating and Paul and Silas are in the prison. And did you know what the Bible says in verse 20? Was it verse 24, verse 25? Did you catch what they were doing? Two things. 
First one is P, starts with a P, letter P. Praying, and the second thing starts with an S. Singing, praying and singing. What were they praying? What were they singing? Well, we don't know, but we do have a picture in Acts chapter 4 when Peter and John had been arrested for healing a man on the Sabbath, and they were thrown in prison and they were beaten. And when they were released, they went back and the church that was gathered prayed in Acts chapter 4. O sovereign Lord, the one who made the heavens and the earth, and, and they began to pray. And I imagine something similar was happening here in the prison. You gotta catch the scene. Oh man, I almost fell. <laughs> almost. <laughs> yeah, that would have been bad, right? Uh, feet in stocks, backs beaten. Oh, sovereign Lord, you who gave us the favorable winds to get to Philippi, forbidden by your spirit to go into Asia and Bithynia, you have brought us here by your grace, by your calling. You who know all things from the beginning to the end, we put our trust in you. Give us the strength to be faithful to the end. We pray for this girl who has been delivered by this demon, from the demon. Having set her free, set her free fully. Oh, we think of Lydia. May this not alarm her and cause her to shrink back. We think of the people who are in the streets today crying out in madness. May they cry out to you for salvation. And there they prayed. And they sang. Now, I don't know any songs in Greek. So I don't know what they sang. But maybe if it was today, maybe it would go something like this. God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. I love him so. I love him so, I love him so, he's so good to me. Jesus, 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 there's a something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Master, Savior, Jesus, I think I missed the line. Uh, heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. And at midnight, suddenly, there was an earthquake, and the prison door shook open, and the stocks fell loose, and, and, and the and the jailer, he knows what the Roman law is, right? If anyone escapes under his care, 
the sentence that they had becomes his sentence. And so he's ready to fall on his own sword. And Paul cries out and he says, don't do it. Don't do it. Stop. We're all here. Don't harm yourself. And, and he cries out for a lamp to be lit. And he comes to them and he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's the question of the hour, is it not? What must I do to be saved? What must anyone do to be saved? In verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It, it's the gospel, right? And we've been, I've been trying to help you all understand the gospel in the most simplest terms, right? Two words. Okay, let's say it together like we're in a choir, right? Jesus only, only Jesus, right? Uh, yesterday, uh, life, uh, a, a, a family friend texted me. I'm struggling. What I have to do to be saved is faith. Is there anything else besides believing in Jesus as Lord and Savior? Is there something else that I need to do? Tormented by fear. And I found myself yesterday as I was driving, I was just praying for her. And Lord, set her free from the spirit of fear and give her the assurance that, that having believed on you, that she is your daughter, set her free from this fear. And so only Jesus can save your soul. And the way he saves our soul is when we put our faith in him. It's not Jesus in the church. It's not Jesus in baptism. It's not Jesus in cleaning up your life. It's not Jesus in something else. It's Jesus only. In verse 32, it says that, that they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. They, they spoke of Jesus' sinless life and his substitutionary death on the cross and his triumphant resurrection from the dead and his ascension into heaven and our need to believe on him and put our faith in him. One of the Bible classes that we have this month and next month is the gospel, learning the gospel, how you and I can be prepared and equipped to share the gospel with those who need to know about Jesus Christ. You and I need to be ready to share with the people who need Christ. And so there in the middle of the night, salvation came to this jailer. The Bible says in verse 33 that he took Paul and Silas into his home and he washed their wounds and then immediately he and his family were baptized. John Chrysostom, the fourth century preacher from Africa, said it this way. He was washed, or he washed rather, and he was washed. He, he washed them of their stripes while he was washed of his sins. Isn't that good? He washed and was washed. He washed them of their stripes while he himself was washed of his sins. Such is the power of the gospel. And then in verse 34, it says that there was joy, abundant joy, great joy, unending joy. I want you to think about this remarkable power of the gospel. It's for all people. Think about how the gospel affected the life of the Apostle Paul. He has set his life on a course of de destroying Christianity as a heresy, as a sect, as a cult. 
And, and he would uh, drag people off from their homes and from the synagogues and put them in prison. He would oversee their execution. He, would, he, he superintended the, the stoning of Stephen. And yet when he encountered the living, resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus, he was saved and changed by the power of the gospel. As a Pharisee, Paul, every day, would begin his day with this prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not a woman. I thank you that I'm not a slave. And I thank you that I'm not a Gentile. And here the gospel came to Europe first. Who, to who? To a woman, to a slave, and to a Gentile. Such is the power of the gospel. The gospel is for all people. The gospel is for people of all races. The gospel is for people uh, for, of, of both genders, male and female. The gospel is for people of all classes. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, educated, uneducated, um, natural born citizen or an immigrant. It doesn't matter. The gospel is for you. And there is one gospel. There is one gospel for all people. And there is no one who is beyond the power of the gospel for salvation. Many of us live this week through the frustration of cold and, and the anger of not having heat in our homes and, and electricity. And we were, we, we were just lived with that 36, 48 hours uh, of that suffering. And here we're reminded that whether it be the winds at our back or through the uh, imprisonment and the beatings that God is able to bring good news to the places and to the people who are farthest from him. It's the power of the gospel to save all people regardless of class, gender, race. And so I want to end this morning is what we must do. What must we do with this gospel? Well, you're not here by accident. The gospel is about Jesus Christ, his death on a cross for your sin, for my sin, his resurrection from the dead to be able to not only forgive our sin but to give us life. His ascension into heaven, he's coming back again. And if you've not ever believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, I urge you today to put your faith in him. Having believed on him, you and I must carry the gospel to the people that God has brought into our lives. God may not call you to go to Greece like he did Paul and Silas and the missionary team, but he is going to call you to take the gospel to someone. And you and I must be willing and ready to do that. Will we be obedient to the call that God has placed upon each of us this day? Will we follow him? I want you to, I just want to, just imagine with me for a moment what it would be like if we would see our cities, our communities, our cities, our countries. We think of just the countries that are represented here this morning. United States, Canada, India, Cameroon, Mexico, our brothers and sisters that are in Panama, hopefully they're watching online. 
our countries and entire continents being transformed by the gospel. What would that be like? What would that look like? It starts with you and I being committed to carrying the gospel to the people in our communities, our workplace, our schools. May God help us this day. Let's